Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Guess what day it is? Guess what day it is? Hello, everyone. It is the 3rd of August, 2022, and it is time for Morning Combat. I am one half of your hosting duo for today. My name is Luke Thomas. I join you from the capital of Estados Unidos right here in Washington, D.C., joined by my friend. Look at this man. I was going to call him El Bigote, but I guess he shaved it off. Look at that. It's uh, it's the, it's the, it's the, what would you call him? I don't know. He's the king of South Florida. Some shit like that. It's Danny Segura. Hi, Danny. How are you? Can you hear me? Oh, shit. He can't hear me. Well, we're off to a rip-roaring start. Oh, there we go. <laughs> What's up, dude? What's up, man? Uh, a little delayed, but I, I, I can hear you. I'm, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm hyped to be on the show. Uh, I think I set the bar real low as far as tech last time. So, I mean, there's only up from here, right? Yes, there is. Yeah, you'll see a delay in the Zoom screen. Just sort of work off the audio, not what the picture shows you, because there is gotcha. a right to that point yeah. of the delay. Um, okay, neither here nor there. Let's catch up a little bit, Danny. So you are currently with MMA Junkie. You live in Miami, Florida. You, got, you were living in New York for a time during the pandemic. You switched up things. How is sunny South Florida? It's good, man. I can't complain. Uh, weather's great here. I ran away from some of the prices in New York. Sadly, uh, prices here are getting you know through the roof, rent, everything. I mean, all around the country, but South Florida is like a special place as far as like real estate and all that is going off. Um, yeah. But all in all, I mean, I, I can't complain. Life is good. Working for MMA Junkie, very happy. And uh, yeah, excited to talk to you about combat sports this morning. We had Rashad on Monday, who also lives, I think, in your, you know, you're roughly your neck of the woods, somewhere there mm-hmm. in South Florida. And he was telling me that the heat is so bad at this time of the year that you treat it like the snow in December in New York, which is that like you just don't leave the house. Is that what yeah. you do? How do you manage the? How do you manage uh, what the the weather there? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, doing activities throughout the day, like if you're going to go play sports or whatever, it's impossible. So, for example, I, I usually play soccer like on a weekly basis. And at this point, we're just all playing at night because during the day it would be would be suicide. So. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, the weather here is, over the summer, it's it's pretty bad just because it's so humid. Um, but I mean, you just wear out the storm and then around like September it gets really nice. So. You know, we got a couple months and then we'll be good to go to, to go out. And after that, nothing, nothing beats the South Florida weather from like September to like February, March, I would say. Wow. It's a nice long stretch. I do have to admit. Yeah. Uh, yeah it changes things up. So, well, listen, we're good to have you. <clears throat> it is not the strongest week in combat sports, but there's still plenty going on. Danny, are, Danny and I are going to get to it. We have some retirements. We have a UFC event this weekend. We have some PFL news. We've got a bunch of the games we're going to play here today. It'll be a fun one midweek for you here on Morning Combat. So thumbs up on the, uh, let's see, if you're watching on YouTube, hit subscribe. Let's throw up the socials there for our lower third. There you go. If you want to give Danny a follow on all the various places, you can check him out right there. Uh, also, as a reminder, morningcombat.store for any of the merch. I don't have any merch on today. Be, uh, hey, uh, Danny, have we sent you any merch yet? Do you have any MK merch? No, zero, man. Zero. Okay. You guys got to send some stuff gotta- my way. Yeah, yeah. All right, we'll get that. You know, I don't know if we have any in kid sizes, but we can f- probably find some for you to wear. Dude, I, I've been hitting the gym, my man. I'm like large on kids now, so you know. <laughs> there you go, dude. This hey, is a true story. I had get, a buddy. Do you guys still have the dad hat? 
Uh, I don't. I haven't looked recently. I have to. Okay, I, I like I those. If there is, I'd take one of those for sure. All right, big big dad energy there from uh, Danny Segura. I had a buddy, my best friend in high school. This is true, and uh, it's not true anymore. Obviously, he's grown a little bit. But when we were seniors, sorry, juniors in high school, just think about that. So you know, sixteen, seventeen, something like that. He was still so small that he had to buy pants in the kids kids section. I was like, you're just a, the runt of the litter. Uh, he's a little bit bigger now, so that's why I like to joke. Yeah. Uh, let's see. We also have Showtime. Showtime.com. 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you could pound sand. By the way, it's not just the sports side. It's everything that Showtime has to offer from the app on demand, the whole nine yards. Uh, in fact, yesterday, we uh, I sat down here in D.C. with W. Kamal Bell, who has had specials on Showtime as a comedian, but he also is responsible for the Cosby documentary, the multi-part documentary series that aired about him on Showtime, the award-winning one. So we talked about that. That interview will be out pretty soon. Um, let's see, Danny. I'm trying to think of anything else here. Oh, yes, I know, for example, what we have to do. This is where BC just takes many, many liberties. I'm assuming you won't. BC, or, oh my God, I did this to Rashad, too. I called him BC as well. It's so ingrained, Danny, that I have a difficult time oh, um, switching. But uh, AG1. Athletic Greens won. What do you do, Danny, as a young man who has no concerns in the world? <laughs> what do you do to manage your health? No, so I actually started, um, I did a keto diet for a while, and now I'm like a paleo, low-carb diet. I, I very much like the Athletic Greens, like what they what they have. I do use some supplements that uh, that go into Athletic Greens. So I got to check it out further, but I, I from what I've seen from Athletic Greens, I do like what they what they offer. And look, well, for young lot- people out there, like you think your body can hold up and stuff like that, but you got to look, you, you have to start looking towards the future and investing in your health, whether that's nutrition or supplementing with athletic greens. Like it's, it's super important, man. Yeah. Well, I just got to tell folks, I mean, I know it's impossible to believe, but I was one uh, young one time too. You will turn into a Dodge Omni if you last long enough. So you better take care of it while you can. Uh, I've obviously, you know, if you're an MK viewer, you know, the drill athletic greens, Tons of high-quality vitamins and minerals. It's not a bunch of pills you got to take. It's one scoop. Chuck some water in it. It's not too disgusting at all. In fact, it's quite tasty. But I'm saying it doesn't give you that thing that, oh, I'm just going to put a bunch of vegetables in the blender and then stir them all up and eat them. No, no, no. It goes down smooth. It tastes real good. Uh, It's lifestyle-friendly. To your point there, Danny, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anything while still tasting good. Yeah. And it costs you less than $3 a day you're investing in your health and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. So, it certainly is. Taking Athletic Greens is a small micro habit with big benefits. One thing you can do every single day to take great care of yourself. Yeah, for sure. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews and is trusted by leading health experts such as Tim Ferriss and Michael Gervais. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition especially heading into the flu and cold season. Just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash morningcombat. That's right, Morning Combat with a K. Again, athleticgreens, plural, dot com slash morning combat with a K to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Let me ask you, why did you go keto and then paleo? What was up with that? So I wanted to try keto just for for the hype. I've been seeing a lot of it and actually keto is amazing. Like I, I've 
I've never felt better in keto. Um, but it's just very, you know, restrictive of what you can eat because you have to stay under like 20 grams of carbs, which is very, very difficult to do. Like for people just to realize like you eat a banana and you're already like at 20 carbs or close. So, um, so I just decided to try keto for some time. Then I don't want to live that lifestyle. So I just do low carb, uh, still eating very clean and uh, more or less like paleo. So I eat a, a lot of protein, uh, a lot of like leafy greens, vegetables, fruits, and I'll have some carbs every now and then, some complex carbs, but I, I totally killed the refined carbs from my diet. And you know how hard that is being Colombian, um, <laughs> you know, with the pan de onos, like everything, bro, like empanadas, like it's tough, dude. But, you know, I'm, I'm getting used to it now. I will tell, I tell people this, you know, certainly I'm no expert on any of this stuff, but as a guy who just, you know, walked into a new world and is trying to learn it, Colombians don't eat a lot of vegetables. Not mm. a lot of vegetables. It's, Just uh, fried it's a lot shit of, and carbs, dude. <laughs> yes. A typical Colombian meal for breakfast would be like uh, an arepa, maybe an egg, yeah. rice on the side, potentially, um, you know, juice is a big one to your point, right? There's a, yeah, uh, there's a lot of juices they do. There's like there's hardly any there's any, there's no vegetables. It's just a lot of carbs and a lot of proteins. That's a that's a tough way to go. But I'm you know I'm, you look like you're in good condition. So yeah yeah no I feel great yeah and you know like Colombians also eat rice like every day. Um, yes. So you know how to break out of that too. All right, let's get this party started if we can without further ado. We start with topic number one, and we are going to get to the fights this weekend in just a bit. But I wanted to start with a bit of a different note here. Typically, we do lead off the rundown with whatever the uh, biggest anchor event is of the weekend. We will do that in just a moment. But yesterday, James Krause, who has been a UFC staple for some time, retired. Uh, he retired, I think, on Ariel Hawani's MMA Hour, suggested he was done. And this is a guy who's got an interesting reputation, Danny, because James, like if I had to ask you off the top of your head the very best James Krause win... We should be very clear about this. He's got some good wins on his resume, to be sure. And in all the wins, he showed well-rounded, thoughtful ability. But this is not a guy who was a previous champion, for example. I don't think he ever even fought for a title. I don't think he ever got all that close, to be quite honest with you. He fought over middleweight and welterweight for the vast majority of his career. I think he had some 160 fights on the regional scene. But if I had to ask you what the significance was of James Cross retiring and why we're talking about it for a guy who, again, good record, but not a you know, hugely accomplished record as a fighter. What, what what stands out to you about why this news is significant? I think it's significant because he is transitioning into a coach role, although he's been doing it for many years. And honestly, he's, he's become a, a really good coach, not only in the octagon, but also I feel like on sort of the lifestyle and, and just outside of the octagon, how to manage your money, how to like live a proper lifestyle, making what you make inside of the UFC. Like, I feel like that's that's very important. And you see guys like Jeff Molina talk about it like, oh, yeah, he got me to like buy a house and I didn't really know about that. Now I have it rented and I'm making a little bit of income. And uh, I, I think that's super important. And so like all around, he gets the game, not only as a fighter, because he was one, obviously, and stayed in the UFC for many, many years, even though he didn't become champion, just lingering around the UFC for, you know, eight years or whatever the case was. That's a long time. Uh, and it requires a lot of skills. Um, so he's got that experience. But at the same time, he's not a guy that became champion. As you said, he's not a guy that was like a huge draw. He made a decent money, but more or less was kind of like in the middle of the pack. If we're talking about money and he's, you know, living pretty well, has a house, has a nice car. I believe he has like a, a Bronco, if I'm not mistaken. 
Um, and like, yeah, he's been able to like invest and really sort of manage the game well. And I think he's sort of a, a good mentor for fighters uh, in all aspects. No doubt about it. You know, here's the thing that stands out to me and the reason why I wanted to lead the show with it is, again, he was an accomplished fighter. He did some pretty good things. We're looking at his record. He did have, you know, his most notable fights were ones that he, in terms of the name value of opponent, let me be clear about that, were ones that he lost. He lost to Bobby Green and he lost to mm. Jorge Masvidal. He does have a win over Jamie Varner, which I don't know if folks will appreciate because uh, that was in 2014 here eight years later it's crazy to be like james kraus fought jamie varner eight years ago right i mean that's insane it, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel like time has passed but it certainly yeah. has and of course he he is he finished his last fight with a win over claudia silva and has a win over sergio Moraes, uh which a knockout win in the third round which is pretty good he had some performance bonuses along the way you get the idea he had a good career he had a good career but i think yeah. what stands out to me is as good of a fighter as he was I think he's going to be a much better coach, a much better coach. Uh, I think he's already sort of showing himself to be, where are your best attributes? Uh, what are they put to the best kind of use? And being the guy who can train these younger fighters, people are now flocking to him. He now has a champion in his stable. Now, granted, he had a guy who was previously a champion who lost in this for an interim title. But the fact that, you know, Brandon Moreno left a very good gym in Mexico, whatever his reasons may be, to go join James Krause kind of tells you what he's putting together there in the Midwest is something of value. And I think a lot of times we look at fighters get into a coaching role. Maybe Habib is somewhat mm -hmm. different because his whole situation is unique. And we sort of wonder about whether or not like they'll fade into obscurity or, hey, that was a guy who used to fight. I actually feel like his profile might elevate by virtue of the performances that he's had to this point, Danny. And what you see is a, it seems to me, maybe I'm reading it wrong, so if I am, by all means, interject. But it seems to me that he's building momentum as a coach in a, in a public way that I'm not sure he ever accomplished as a fighter. Yeah, I have to agree. And, and look, I interview Brandon Moreno a lot. Um, and I talked to him and, I'm, I, and I asked him, I'm like, hey, what, why did you decide to leave Entram Gym? Because, dude, he became a champion with Entram Gym. He became history, like... He became the first Mexican to win a UFC title fighting out of Mexico, which people don't really realize how difficult that is given the resources uh, that, you know, you find in the U.S. and everyone just tries to go to these major gyms. But he did it out of a small gym and put Tijuana on the map as well as Entran Gym, who has a, a ton of prospect as well. That team is ridiculous. Um, but and, and also, like when he lost his last fight with Entran Gym, when he lost, it was a close fight against Davidson Figueroa. It's not like we saw him, you know, look terrible or anything like that, but he had told me that for one fight, and I think it might have been the first Davison Figueroa fight. Um, James Krause had somebody fighting on that card as well, and they shared a shuttle bus that was taking them to for weigh-ins or, or after weigh-ins. And James Krause sat next to him, and then they just happened to be talking. And then James Krause is like, he tells me he's like this fight nerd. He's just obsessing and watches every single fight, and he was you know, telling him how good he was and, and all these things that he liked about his game and maybe some of the holes that he saw and this and that. And then once Brando Moreno saw this, like, dude, this guy has me like analyzed. I barely know him. He's like, okay. And then once he started taking trips to Vegas, James Krause for fights, they started kind of training together. And um, that's mm -hmm. why Brando Moreno, as soon as he left Entram Gym, that's straight up the first place that he went to. He did not decide to try any other big gyms. He also kind of likes that personalized uh, boxing style training camp where, you know, everything's focused around him rather than go to a, a big team and sort of be one of the many big name fighters around there. Is there a way to explain the Entran gym 
dynamic to people like us who you've been there, right? You've seen it. You, you for folks who haven't seen it, you've done a, a documentary from like, that was on Lobo uh, Gym. I haven't been to Inter. that was, that was Lobo in, Gym. Las Mujeres de Lobo Gym. Have you been to N- the, So have you been to Brandon Moreno's old gym? I haven't, uh, but I'm dying to go. Okay, I got to make a trip to to Tijuana. But they got tons of good prospects. Um, Michael Morales, who fought at UFC 277, huge prospect from Ecuador. I mean, everybody that that is training in Latin America and can't get into the U.S. because of visa issues or whatever, they go to Mexico and they go to Entram Gym because that's that's literally the best gym right now outside of maybe like Shudo Box in Brazil or, you know, a few other big teams in Brazil. But excluding Brazil, uh, Entram Gym is probably the best gym you can find in Latin America right now. Hmm. Interesting. Super crazy. Yeah, so we'll yeah. see what happens with this. There is one, or one more note to the story, which I don't even know what to make of. It's not really related to Krause's accomplishments per se, but he had revealed to Ariel yesterday he makes the majority of his money gambling on MMA. Now, I don't know what to make of that because on the one hand, Danny, if you did this in team sports, you, you'd be banned for your you know significant portions of the season, but that's... It's a little bit different, right? I mean, there's there is a dynamic uh, in play there about you know obviously to start with employment versus independent contractor. Obviously, the the betting aspect of MMA is sort of inherent in it, but no one seems to care about an eye about it. And I'm not saying I care all that much either, if I'm being perfectly candid. But it is unusual, right, for someone to just openly and brazenly admit that they make a ton of money betting on fights when in fact you're part of a operation where. I think that the incentive for winning is so strong, uh, especially given the financial constraints, that no one would purposely blow a fight. Although certainly you could bet in a way that they would, but you can imagine the, uh, at least I'll put it this way, the appearance of impropriety, right, at a bare minimum, it's a little weird for a dude right in the thick of it to be like, yes, I make all my money, or tons of money anyway, betting on uh, MMA. Like, should we care? Is Is it a story? Where are we on this? Yeah, it's funny how I'm like uh, praising James Cross here for like being financially smart and helping fighters like invest this and that. And then like, you know, uh, there's also this part that he makes most of his money gambling, which is usually not like the safest route or or how to do uh, how to invest your money properly. Let's just say that. Um, But yeah, it it is weird. I think something that kind of takes away a little bit and makes it a, a little bit less of a big deal is that he's not fighting. If you're fighting, I think that's if you're actually going in there, that's a, a, a little bit uh, more concerning, I think, because, you know, maybe, oh, I'm going to, you know, just a hypothetical situation. If you're a fighter, you could be like, if you're really good, maybe you could be like, oh, I'm going to get this guy out in the fourth round because that's the round that, you know, the betters predict, um, you know, the odds are the worst for me. So then, you know, I'll coast and then I'll try to look for a finish, etc. But since he's a coach role, I, I think there's a little bit less of that. But still, I, I do get your point. Um I think maybe it should be a little bit of a bigger story, but at the same time, there's so many things that should be a bigger story in MMA, but they just aren't for whatever reason. Like people just don't seem to care. Um, but yeah, it is it is a little weird. It's a little weird, is the way I would put them. Yeah, a little weird. All right, um, let's now move on to the next story here. This is the one that's the anchor event of the weekend. Now, of course, let me just quickly get your opinion on this. Just a second. This was supposed to be Jake Paul fight week, right? This was supposed to be Jake Paul versus Hasim Rahman Jr., Madison Square Garden, uh, and it's not. Now, we've covered this story already on, um, yes, or I should say, Monday's MK. So, Danny, very quickly, your thoughts on everything that happened in the disintegration, essentially, of the event. 
Yeah, bummer, because um, it was Jake Paul's return, and, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Jake Paul, but I did like this fight, because in this fight, I feel like he wasn't just fighting, he was going to be forced to box. In the previous fights, he was just fighting, and you know there's a big difference between actually boxing and then fighting. With this one, he was actually going to have to put combinations together, you know, he was going to have to be in this conversation within the sweet science that we've never seen him before. Before, it was just like dodge punches and look to land the right hand you know not a very complicated way to to go about this fights and and here against uh rockman jr like rockman jr obviously is in the best boxer in the world but he's a boxer like this guy's out there um in the sweet science he knows the sport and he's actually uh doing the damn thing so it is a bummer that we don't get to see that next step that escalation um it's crazy how everything fell apart um right from the start like it just when Tommy Fury wasn't able to get into the U.S., they found a late replacement. Um, there was the uh, hydration clause. Like, there was already a lot of hurdles. And then this kind of just blows up on, on Jake Paul's face. Um, not not the best look. I mean, it's, it's a crazy situation. But um, I just hope that whenever that he returns, he kind of keeps the same vibe and goes up against the boxer. Last thing on this. Assuming that Nate doesn't get like his 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 um, how do I say this? Assuming Nate makes it through the Hamzat fight without his you know without the mar- without the market's desire to see him damaged right they still want to mm-hmm. see him whatever that means. How big is Jake Paul versus Nate Diaz in boxing? How many how many buys? Put it put it on the line, Danny. That's huge. I mean, I don't think. Well, you think like eight hundred thousand? I think, I think get, it does a million. It gets close I, think, to a million. I think it, I think it can do a million. I think now again, yeah. all of these things have to line up. It has to be the right promotion. It has to be you know uh, done well in advance. Both guys have to do interviews, and they have to be. You might even want to do a like a media tour for it. Yeah. But I think under the right circumstances, yes, it could sell a million. No doubt about it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, that'd be a, an interesting fight. I'd definitely, I, I'd watch that for sure. Uh, all right, let's get to the fights this weekend. We have, however you want to label it, UFC Fight Night Walker versus Hill, UFC Fight Night 201, UFC on ESPN Plus 59, UFC Vegas 48, whatever. We have a card at the Apex. Now, Danny, the UFC has been doing something a little bit interesting. As things have changed and the world begins to open back up and uh, the UFC goes on the road a little bit more, right? They're not just going on the road for pay-per-views. They're now going on the road for fight nights. They were in, of course, uh, Texas. They were in Long Island. They'll be in some other places soon. They'll, they're going to be in San Diego for the, the Chito Vera fight. What's ending up happening is that the Apex is still a valuable place for them, but it's it, it'd be hard to argue that the UFC is reserving their best fights for the Apex, all things being what they are. You do have a decent main event. We're going to talk about it in just a second between Jamal Hill and, excuse me, yes, between Jamal Hill and Tiago Santos. Uh, nevertheless, what is your assessment of how the UFC has treated the apex of late, the card quality there, the card quality this weekend? What is your view about how all of that has sort of created a tiered system of content? Yeah, um, it's interesting. I think we are seeing this is because clearly the cards on the road are better. And a lot of people are attributing it to like the crowd. And I think obviously it... it, it plays a factor into the fights being better, the fighters getting amped up and all that. But if you just look at the cards on paper, the cards outside of the Apex are just much better. And one of the reasons is because at the Apex, the UFC doesn't have to sell tickets. 
So I, I don't think that this card, uh, in all the respect to all the fighters competing at this upcoming card this uh, Saturday, I don't think you can put that on the road and, and sell out. So you do have to, you know, put a little bit of muscle in those cards that are on the road because tickets are, are a big part of it. Uh, so it, what happens is that for the shows that are at the Apex, we're now seeing, you know, the UFC not really put as much emphasis in those cards. So if, if it's already an Apex card, you know that, okay, main event, common event are going to be good. Um, but then below that, there might be a few gems here and there, but more or less, it's not going to be a very strong card. So that's, I think that's the biggest thing. I think ticket sales um, influence the UFC into actually putting more muscle in, into these cards. So um, I love the UFC on the road just because it guarantees us a, a better event. But, um, you know, I don't really dig too much of, of the UFC Apex, to be honest. But it does serve a purpose nowadays with so many cards, with so many fighters on the ro roster who they have to give fights to. This is a, a good avenue to sort of keep the machine rolling. Yeah, people complain about the Apex like it's the Apex by itself that's the problem. But I didn't mind the quiet fights with not much of a crowd during the middle of the pandemic. To me, I don't mind the Apex. What I mind is that if you're going to give all of the very best stuff to your pay-per-view and then some really good stuff to the fight nights, there's just not going to be on the road, on the road. There's just not going to be much left. Now, with that in mind, let's talk about this main event, Danny. Uh, Tiago Santos in a 205-pound main event against Jamal Hill. Jamal Hill on a two-fight win streak. Tiago Santos having lost three of his last four. The last loss to Ankalaev was thorough, but boring. I think most folks would say there just wasn't much action. He did have a win before that against Johnny Walker, but since the fight to John Jones and the time off and the surgery and everything else, hard to argue he's exactly the same as he was before. In fact, he's a pretty big difference. Size up this contest for me. What do you see as the most relevant... Uh, way to look at this fight yeah I think this is Jamal Hill is a, a pretty interesting guy in the division I think Tiago Santos hasn't I agree with you he hasn't looked great since the John Jones defeat obviously he has some really bad knee injuries that he had to take time off but he he hasn't been the same he he just doesn't fight with the same level of activity doesn't fight with the same level of meanness um, so I think this is kind of setting up Jamal Hill to become an exciting contender at, at 205. If he's able to pick up a, a good victory here, and remember, he had that crazy knockout win over Johnny Walker not so long ago. I mean, what the 205 division needs right now is, is names and top contenders. So I feel like this is a great opportunity, main event against a former title challenger to sort of kind of propel Jamal Hill into that conversation and have him, you know, uh, be set up for future uh, bigger bouts here in the in the division so that's kind of what i what i see here i think this is jamal hill's opportunity to sort of go beyond just being an exciting fighter that gets good finishes here and there and actually become a contender and become a threat in the division and and somebody that uh we start talking about as a, a potential future title challenger tiago santos currently sitting at age 38 he'll be 39 in january so he's sort of halfway through it there give or take not quite a little bit longer actually Jamal Hill just turned 31 in May. What is your view of the upside of Jamal Hill? You kind of got to it. In, since he joined the UFC, he won on the Contender Series. He had the no contest to Clitson Abreu, which was originally a TKO uh, Hill for win, overturned after he tested positive for marijuana, which is obviously bullshit. We can be honest about that. Follows it up with the Oven State Pruin. He did lose to Paul Craig. He got finished inside the first to Paul Craig, but then rebounded with wins, stoppage wins in the first round himself against Jimmy Crute and Johnny Walker. What? Great hand speed, good boxing, but to your point, as good as he's looked, 
maybe there's still definitely some, not questions, but you know, there's further challenges to answer before we get a more complete picture. Yeah, for sure. And, and before we talk about how, how BS is the whole no contest for marijuana, I know we've talked about this, uh, you know, media has just talked about it for many years, but now that Vegas, not that the Nevada Athletic Commission made it, I guess they don't test for marijuana anymore. Should they go back and like give all these guys that got their wins overturned to a no contest? Shouldn't they get their wins back? Because I mean, they're not yes. testing for it anymore and they're saying it's cool. So, you know, what, what what's going on there? Yeah, they should. I mean, it's fucking bullshit that they ever did it to begin with. They don't have yeah. any way to know if he was actually on feeling the euphoric effects of it during the the, the time of the bout of the uh, the fight itself. So, no, the, the commission's fucking blow. We know this. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But, yeah, um, to your point, yeah, I agree. Like, good hand speed, good boxing. I think uh, he's a little bit green. He needs a little bit more experience. Uh, Jamal Hill, obviously, uh, you know, he's just uh, 12 fights into his MMA career, so understandably so. Uh, but this is a guy that, again, needs experience. And I feel like above everything, he needs victories over guys that have name value for confidence and, and also just to kind of beef up the the record and the resume. And I think this Thiago Santos fight is, is a great next step. Um, I really like this matchup for Jamal Hill. And uh, we'll see how, how this guy evolves. I mean, he's 31. We know that light heavyweights or heavyweights usually tend to have longer careers. Usually they, they get into their primes a little bit later into their into their uh, careers compared to lighter weight classes. So I think at 31, considering he doesn't have a ton of experience, I think there's still a lot for Jamal Hill to gain here and to evolve. So as of now, I'm not screaming, hey, this guy's title contender, this guy's a threat, but who knows? Let's wait and see what happens to Thiago Santos. Maybe he makes a statement here and, you know, fighters can evolve greatly in between fights. So um, he certainly has a lot to work with in terms of his athletic ability, hand speed, power, um, he just has to add a few things technically, I think, and he's up there, man. Yeah, in fact, if you look at the rankings, which was probably a big driver in how this fight got made, currently, at the time of the the broadcast, Jamal Hill sits at 10, which seems about mm-hmm. right. Tiago Santos sitting at 6. Now, what's interesting is that Paul Craig is sitting at 9. Nine ha- uh, Craig has a stoppage win over Hill. But my guess is that what they're looking to do is they want to get some fresh contenders in there because if you look at 6 to 10, it goes something like this. 6 is Thiago Santos, who's had a title shot and I think is on the downside of his career. Could be wrong, which isn't to say he can't win on Saturday. That's not what I mean, but his best wins are probably behind him is what I think. Dominic Ray is sitting at 7. Not sure what to do with him. Already had a title shot. Actually, a couple of them. 8, Volkan Uzdemir. Got a nice win over Paul Craig sitting at 9, but again, uh, Uzdemir already had a title shot. Craig is sitting at 9, then you have Jamal Hill at 10. To your point, Jamal Hill doesn't have the same experience as those guys. With a win over Santos, I don't know if he'll take the number 6 spot, but it puts some new life into the top of that division. With the the exception, Danny, of Jan Blahovich sitting at 2, 1 to 5 is Teixeira, Ankalaev, Rakic, and Smith. So Smith's had a title shot. Teixeira, the former champion... Oh, actually, you know, yeah, it's to share a blow. Yeah, they're trying to get some new blood in there is the basic idea. They're trying to shuffle some new life into there. Jamal Hill at 31, one of the younger guys given that position, it put him just outside the top five-ish in that space. Conversely, if if Santos gets a win, to me, this would be his most validating one. Johnny Walker sitting at 13. If he could beat like a a surging, let's put it that way, semi-surging Jamal Hill, that would shut up doubters like potentially you and me or somebody else out there who thinks oh well he can't you know this is the end of it that would it would be a real validating moment to keep his spot hovering on the outside of that top five basically 
Yeah, no, for sure. I think that's that's what it is. He's looking to prove that he belongs in that spot at number six because right now, um, you know, Thiago Santos' career, as you mentioned, is a bit on a downfall. He doesn't look this. He doesn't look to be the same fighter that he once was. But if he loses to Jamal Hill, I think that's a clear indication. Like, hey, his better days are over because that's a, a different type of defeat, a different type of loss. So this is very much guarding his spot and and guarding. Um, I'm not saying he's going to become a title contender with this win, but guarding, yeah, that spot that like, hey, you know, I'm here to compete and I'm still among the top 10 in the world. Look at this guy that was coming up that was ranked at 10. He couldn't get by me. Give me a big fight in the future. And for Jamal Hill is is that I think if you beat him, you get a former title challenger in your record. A lot of people saw him beat John Jones. I think this opens the doors for the top five. And all of a sudden we're going to start seeing him in in meaningful bouts that uh, could have big consequences at 205 for sure. No doubt about it. Yeah, somebody who's not title shot ready, but uh, top contender fight ready. Oh, yeah. Is the way I would put that. Uh, all right, so our co-main event is actually maybe the best fight on the card. In fact, if you were if you were ranking, tell me if you disagree, Danny. If you were putting the fights in order in such a way where you were putting it like very best fight on paper first, this is what it would be. Of all the fights on the card, Vicente Luque taking on Jeff Neal at welterweight. That's the best fight on this card by a mile. Neither guy is shot. Neither guy is by any means potentially even reached their peak yet. There's some debate over that. But where are they? Where is Vicente Luque in his career, Danny? And where is Jeff Neal? And why is their meeting here significant? Yeah, this is my favorite fight on the card. And I think it'll be many's as well. Um, I think Vicente Luque is in a similar position uh, to Thiago Santos. Not exactly in the sense that, you know, he looked terrible in his last outing and we're thinking he's going downhill. No, I think his better days are still ahead. But he does share the same ranking. I believe he sits right outside of the top five. He's number six nowadays. And uh, he's always been a guy that, like, he's clearly talented, picks up important wins. But once he needs to make that big step and really face somebody against the top five, he's come up short, right? This time around, it was Bilal Muhammad in his last outing. Prior to that was Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. And then, you know, he takes those L's and he goes on these long streaks until he meets, again, a top five. Um, will that be the story in the future? I guess we'll find out. But this is that. This is that rebound to kind of uh, just check Vicente Luque real quick. Like, okay, clearly you couldn't get past the top five for now. Um, but let's just make sure real quick you're still, you know, ab- above the pack of the top 10. And uh, fighting here, um, Jeff Neal, I believe he's ranked number 14. I think that fight serves that. Uh, while on the other hand, for Jeff Neal, it's, you know, an opportunity against one of these bigger guys so he can go in the future, hey, you know, I deserve a, a big step up in competition. And certainly a win over Vicente Luque would probably be his best, right? Like Vicente Luque is, is an animal. Certainly he's he's super, super good. And something that I like about Luque here is that he's always been open to like taking, you know, tune-up fights. And I'm sort of throwing the, the air quotes here because Jeff Neal is no tune-up fight, but this is as close as you can get to a tune-up fight in the UFC. And I think that's great. I mean, usually guys of his position would want to just you know, keep uh, in the top and just fighting guys that are in the top five or close around. Vicente Luque, after big losses, he has no problem like going, okay, let's just get some momentum back. Let's get some victory back. And uh, and yeah, I think that's exactly what he's doing in, in this bat, in this matchup. So I think this is a, a, a perfect fight for Luque and a perfect fight for Neil as well. Dude, I completely forgot because it's so hard to keep up with this stuff now in ways that it never used to be. But in 2019, Jeff Neal has a unanimous decision win over Bilal Muhammad. I completely forgot about that, number one. And number two, it tells you a lot of things. 
because uh, Neil's last fight, which was a win over Santiago Ponzinibbio, that was nice, but it was split. It was a tough mm-hmm. fight. P- p- questions about where Ponzinibbio was at in this stage in his career as well. And then prior to that, he had losses right back-to-back to Wonderboy and Magny. And the one to Wonderboy was like, I mean, extremely one-sided by and large. Yeah. So it tells you that like Neil has kind of tripped up a little bit and is trying to catch his feet. He might be able to continue that that process here on Saturday. Conversely, dude, Bilal Muhammad is a guy that I, I've been wrong about Bilal more times than I am happy to admit. That dude has turned into a genuine force, and I know the criticisms are going to be, well, his game is not all that entertaining, but you would certainly agree, dude. Bilal has really turned into a dynamic force in this division in terms of giving very good fighters like Vicente Luque in their last contest, I believe, a mm-hmm. really, really tough, frankly, I won't say punishing victory, but complete, certainly in the sense of there was by the time they went to the scorecards, there really wasn't much question about the arithmetic, was there? Yeah, Bilal Muhammad has really turned a corner. He has losses to both th- these guys here. And Bilal Muhammad is, is just a really good fighter. And I think, yeah, he might not have that many stoppage wins. A lot of his fights go to decision. But I would say out of everybody at Welterweight, he's one of the guys that fights most responsible. Um, he sticks to his game plan, doesn't deviate from it, um, You know, minimizes risk as much as he possibly can. I mean, the guy really does the best and, and puts his, uh, his, his tools... He does the best that he can do with his uh, tool set. And uh, yeah, it's a guy that's uh, a lot of people doubted him. And a lot of people, I feel like, are still doubting him. But he's, you know, he's picking up the wins and he's on his way up and forcing his way up, quite frankly, because um, he's on a crazy win streak. And I think he's going to be one of these guys that he's going to have to prove and become undeniable in, in order for him to get a, a title shot. Very much like Kamaru Usman at some point. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, and Camaro turned several corners, I suppose, in his career. Yeah. But Jeff Neal, let's talk about him for just a second. Now, there was, he's obviously had some personal issues in his life, but he's only 31 years of age. And again, he is coming off of a win against Ponzinibbio. So let me actually reflect on that because I, I, where do you like? OK, let, let's ask it this way. How much can you read into that win for Jeff Neal? And I'm going to ask that in a way where, Danny, I'm asking you to give me an assessment of what it means to beat Santiago Ponzinibbio in 2021. How, what what does that win actually tell you about Jeff Neal? Yeah, I think that win is important. I think he didn't beat the old uh, Santiago Ponzinibbio, the prime Santiago Ponzinibbio, back when he was you know headlining events when the UFC was really going to South America. He headlined in Argentina. I believe he uh, headlined as well in, in Chile, if I'm not mistaken. But um, that Santiago Ponzinibbio was a top five fighter in the world. Top five. Easy. Uh, this Santiago Ponsinibio that we see that he came back after this uh, crazy bacterial infection that almost cost him his life um, is still very good. I do think he's a top 15 fighter, but he's not that top five threat that he once used to be. Mm. So I think this is still a very important win. Like getting by Santiago Ponsinibio is not easy. The people that have done it usually are involved in fight of the nights and take a good beating in the process. Like it's not easy to get by Santiago Ponsinibio. Um, so I, I do put a lot of weight in that victory. I think, um, it is a good victory for Jeff Neal, but you know, it's not a victory that claims, Hey, this guy's going to be the next in line to, to, for the title shot or anything like that. But I, I do like Jeff Neal. And, and I remember like a few, uh, just a couple of years ago, back before he had that loss to Steven Wonderboy Thompson, he was on this crazy streak that included that victory of, over Bilal. And a lot of people were wondering, Hey, this guy's on the come up. Is he the next title contender? 
Lost a step, lost to Steven Wonderboy Thompson, um, a pretty dominant uh, decision. Lost to Neil Magny, who's a complete stud. And I feel like he's kind of just getting the momentum back. And at 31, I still think there's a lot of upside. Uh, we'll see. Tough, tough bite about here against Luque. But um, I think I think he still has some, some good fights ahead of him. All right. We'll talk about some of the stuff in terms of X's and O's on uh, a Friday there a little bit. For Luque... I want to ask the question this way. And if the answer is no, then say no. Have you given up on the idea of Vicente Luque as at least a title challenger, as a guy you will actually see fight for a UFC welterweight title? No, not yet. Not yet. Um, I, I do understand why people may have those doubts, and I think it's fair. Because, again, he goes on these a uh, really good winning streak against like top 15, top 10 opposition. And once they've put him to take the step for a top five, he's come up short. So I understand that. And it seems it's a repeating pattern at this point. But the dude's only 30. Right now, this is the prime of his career. He trains out of a really, really good gym. Um, let's not forget his last fight against Bilal. That was his first main event ever. That was his first five-round fight ever. So it just shows that even though he does have a lot of fights, there's still a lot of experience to be gained. Um, and hopefully, as he gets more uh, main events in the future... Um, we'll start seeing a more complete Vicente Luque. And I do think he's probably better suited for a five-round fight anyways, just given how dangerous he is across the entire fight. And something that he told me, because I talked to him a, a couple of days ago, uh, something that he told me that he learned from the Bilal fight is that going into that fight, it was his first time fighting 25 minutes, and he wasn't really sure about his cardio because he always swings hard, he always goes for the finish, and he thought that maybe there could have been a chance that towards the end, he could have lost some steam. So he kind of held back a little bit too much. And he said, after the fight was over, I'm like, dude, I have so much more to give. And that kind of hurt him as well. Obviously, Bilal did a fantastic fight too. And I think um, technically it exposed Luke to certain things. But overall, like I, I do think he can tweak certain things and given how dangerous he is, not only on the feet, but on the ground as well. You do have a threat here. You do have a threat. He's got a... Um, his takedown defense is good, but what happens is that when fight, fighters shoot on him, sometimes they might not be able to get the takedown, but they're able to press him against the cage. They're able to control him, and that obviously doesn't look good on the eyes of the judges, and it, and it costs him. So, again, a few little tweaks here and there, and I do think he can be a legit title threat. He's also, again, one of the younger guys at, at, at 30. I'm talking about the guys at the top, like Bilal's 34 already. So who knows? It may be a year or two once Kamaru is like 36 and these older guys that are at the top start facing out. He can start coming into his own at 32, 33 and be that title contender and, and fight for a title. I think that's possible. All right. I, I, look, moving down the card here a little bit, I'm not trying to be the guy that does the cliche thing where like I'm too cool for school and... Let's just spend 30 minutes taking a shit on the Ultimate Fighter. I've been taking a shit on the Ultimate Fighter for 10 years plus. I mean, I gave up on it long time ago. Long time ago. Before, I guarantee you, 90% of the people watching were even watching MMA. I just, it's not been what it used to be for a lot of reasons. But okay, that we've done that thing before. I'm, I don't really give a shit to do it anymore. Nevertheless, Danny... There is something to be said where it's not just old, you know, hipster assholes like me who no longer watch it. I'm not really sure who does. Now, there obviously is enough of an audience because they do it on ESPN+. Plus. They had Juliana Pena and Amanda Nunes as coaches. Fine. If there's enough of an audience, great. Um, what can you say about The Ultimate Fighter at this point? It's just another show. 
You know, like I wouldn't I wouldn't go out of my way to like clown stuff they put on YouTube like, oh, best knockouts or whatever. I see it as sort of commensurate with that. It has a purpose, not a significant one, and that's the end of it. Yeah, I, I don't know why. Honestly, it's it's still around, to be quite frank with you. Um, it used to be, and I think this is what's hurting it. One, like back in the day, you know this, like in the early 2000s, reality television was everything. Um, so obviously having a, a reality TV show for MMA, that was big for the fans as well. I think with the demise of reality TV, that's kind of hurt the ultimate fighter and also what's hurt the ultimate fighter is that before years ago it was super hard to get into the ufc there weren't nearly as many events so the roster was a lot smaller so to get a spot in the ufc was like huge it was huge and uh, winning the ultimate fighter would be like okay this guy's entering the ufc and that sort of had a, a whole prestige around it just being part of the ufc roster nowadays with contender series and so many fights uh, falling out because of COVID, this, this, and that. And all all of a sudden, we get a huge influx and the roster's huge and we get fights every weekend. Now it's not as meaningful as it used to be to be part of the UFC. So it's like, okay, you're going to go weeks and go through this entire grueling tournament that uh, doesn't really reflect sort of uh, if you will do well in the UFC or not because it's just such a vastly different format. Um, and then at the end, you get like a contract. I feel like there needs to be something more than just a contract, because at this point, so many fighters get contracts. You know, we, we see the influx of fighters. Uh, it's huge nowadays. So it has lost a lot of a lot of pop. I do think they need to do something if they want to keep it around. They need to do something to sort of uh, bring it back to life a little bit, because, um, yeah, it just doesn't well, there, have there, there ain't the no bringing that, that Frankenstein. There ain't no bringing uh, that Frankenstein back. I mean, it is. You think it, you so? Know. You think it's done? I think that they can keep it alive, but I don't think they can turn it into something that it was. Something that it was, like to your point, like you, the way you, I, I think you even started the point was exactly right, which was, you know, I, yes, in 2005, I was 25 years old, right? The, the middle of my 20s, when you feel like, you know, you're king of the world in certain ways, even though you're, you're not, obviously, in, in almost all of them. But certainly it was tied to your youth. And in 2005, that, what, what they were trying was incredibly relevant. Now, it's changed over time to adapt to the time. But each new iteration it occupies is typically less significant than the last one. The thing that it was and what it represented is tied to a time where none of that is relevant. And even the adaptations to it, only the brand just goes like this. And you can, you can, uh, listen, I think they're doing the best. They've done, it sounds like nothing but insults, Danny. They've done the best that they can with this. They have managed the decline softly. That's best case scenario by and large. Yeah, you get television shows like Jeopardy, which lasts for decades. That's not the realistic expe expectation. You yeah. can't. That's not. That's not a real model you can follow. For it to be as round as around as long as it has, and to still have at least I can acknowledge some relatively small, but some value. That's all that you can do with it. There's no turning. Mm. There's no turning this car around, so to speak. Now, with that in mind, quickly maybe. Any any thoughts? There's a heavyweight champion or a heavyweight, I should say, tournament championship between Zach Pauga, I think is how you pronounce his name, and then mm -hmm. the brother of Kamar Usman, Muhammad Usman, and there's a, of course, a women's flyweight final between uh, Juliana Miller and Brogan Walker. Any thoughts on any of these fights? Um, I think the interesting figure here is obviously Usman's brother. I've seen him fight a lot because he fights out of, oh, he used to fight out of Titan FC uh, here in South Florida, and he also f had a fight in PFL. Um, but, you know, not to diss him, but it's also hard, right, to live up to the expectation of his brother. But he's not nearly as good as, as Kamaru. Obviously, he's a heavyweight, so maybe, you know, his prime might, might be ahead of him. 
Um, but I think he should win this fight against uh, Sakpaga, who, who's actually a light heavyweight, moving up to heavyweight for, for this tournament. Um, and he's fought in Cage Warriors before. So we'll see. I think the, the interesting name is Usman there. We'll see. Um, he'd be a nice addition to the, to the heavyweight roster because, you know, they, they need big names. But, uh, yeah, I don't have a, a ton of thoughts for this. And, and let me just say this. Look, the PFL is having, like, good success with the tournament. What if they did, like, something fairly similar, but they added, like, a prize, like, you know, half a million dollars, a million dollars to the winner, or sort of they spice things up? Do you really think the Ultimate Fighter is done for? Done for? No. Again, do I think there are ways to keep the brand alive? Yes. Yes, I do. Do I think that there are ways to make the brand have, let's say, 2x the ratings they have now? No, not really. I don't see that. That's true. Yeah. It's tough. Um, also on this card, very quickly, a heavyweight contest. Augusto Sakai taking on Sergey Spivak. Kind of guys in that 11 to 15 range, you know, looking to climb maybe closer to the top 10. You have, uh, I think, Violence Queen, Ariana Lipsky taking on Priscilla Cachuera. Uh, oh, Terrence Bikini's on this card. Right there. Say again? That's the BC special for sure. No, they're not. They're not American. <laughs> so I don't know how well it works for BC's uh, terrible preferences, but just the same. Uh, Terrence McKinney's on this one. Uh, Maria or Myra. I've never heard how to pronounce her name. Bueno Silva's on this card against Stephanie Egger. There's a few decent names up and down there for sure. Terrence McKinney, actually one of the more interesting names. Anything else stand out to you about the card? And then we move on. Sam Alvey's fighting. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, Dude, it, how way, the fuck is that still happening, bro? He he's he hasn't fought. He was he hasn't won a fight in his last past like eight bouts. I think he has seven losses and one draw. I don't know how he's still in the UFC. It's a big big surprise. Um, yeah, I mean, what, what do you think? He sticks or if he takes a loss here, do you think he sticks around? I would have said no. I would have said no. I don't know. Just to remind everyone, this is... Okay, so he had a two-fight win streak when he beat Marcin Pracnio in 2018, who literally walked straight into him with his hands down. I mean, it's one of the most bizarre UFC finishes you'll ever see. Then John Vellante, who is, you know, I think it's fair to say hittable. Mm. Then he fought... He loses to Rogerio Noguera. Then Jimmy Crute. This started in 2018. Then Klitson Abreu. Then Ryan Spann. Uh, He had a draw against Da Jung. Then Julian Marquez, then Wellington Terman, and then Brendan Allen. Um, the last th- uh, four of them, actually, Jesus Christ, I can go. Yeah, starting from Span, he gets a de- he gets a decision loss there, and then Daun Jung another one. Julian Marquez finished him. Wellington Terman finished him. Brendan Allen finished him. I'll say this, Danny: if he loses, but it's a decision, he might stick around. To be perfectly fucking honest with you, I mean, probably not, but there's even a chance. If he gets finished, I'd say there's no yeah. chance. I mean, here, this is, this is, um, you know, a lot of times guys fall off a cliff when they get older. Sam Alvey is currently sitting at, let's see, 36, not the oldest, but whatever. But, you know, his situation is where if they start to lose, you're like, and lose consecutively, let's say, or, you know, like in big spots, like you got one win in your last four or something. That's, that's, that's a bad sign. And then when that turns into like injury or finishes, that's when you know you're really at the end there. Yeah. Like for Ty- Tyron Woodley's end was not nearly as long as this, but he just went from like lifeless por- performance, lifeless injury stoppage. That's sort of usually the way it goes. We might be well past that here with Sam Alvey at this point. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I don't even know to be honest. I won't even put a prediction on, on his future 
with the UFC because this whole situation is just so bizarre. But um, outside of that, I really like Terrence McKinney. I know he had a loss to Drew Dober, but even then, I thought he looked pretty good in it. He's a pretty young prospect. Um, I like the upside on him. Um, yeah, that's a, that's probably out of the prelims. That's the guy that I'm I'm keeping an eye on, Terrence McKinney. All right. Uh, next in the lineup here, something you mentioned, you, you had introduced the PFL. Let's talk about this very quickly. So CEO of PFL, Peter Murphy, told John Morgan something I thought semi-interesting. Namely, quote, in New York, which I'll get to that event in a second. I have it pulled up. We will have two fights that lead into the four fight semifinal fights that are do or die, meaning the fighters who win those fights will secure their position on next season's 2023 roster. And whomever loses, we're going to say, thank you. It's time to move on. Let me set that up one more time. Two fights that lead into the four semifinal fights. So uh, the four semifinals are the, uh, let's see, the light heavyweight between Wilkinson, Monte, Akhmedov, and uh, Akhmedov, excuse me, and Silvera. And then they have lightweight ones between Pettis, Stevie Ray, Aubin Marcier, and Martinez. The two ones that lead into it, I'm not sure which ones all are in the contest they're referring to specifically, but they're taking a little bit more of a cutthroat attitude on talent retain uh, re, uh, acquisition and whether or not they want to retain them. You like the move from PFL? I don't, to be quite honest. Because um, what happens, for example, like Jeremy Stevens didn't make the playoffs, right? So what happens with him last year, like Anthony Pettis didn't make the playoffs. Uh, what if he fights on a card? Is if, if this is a rule that's applied to everyone... Are they just going to let go of these like big talent acquisitions, these big free agents that they fought for? Um, I don't think that's a, that's a smart decision. And I don't like picking and choosing like, okay, these fighters are at risk. These fighters are not. You know, there's a famous saying in Spanish. I'm sure you've heard of it in your household. It's, uh, o todos en la cama, o todos en el piso. Like it's either everyone on the bed or everyone on the floor. So um, I, it doesn't do a whole lot for me. It's not like I'm, I'm now looking forward to these fights. Like, Ooh, who's going to get cut and not going to, you know, be there for next season. Um, I think you just try to get the best names and the most interesting names for for the season, and, and that's it. You don't make them sort of fight for it uh, while the playoffs are going on, my opinion. And by the way, it's it's going to start with New York, which is PFL 7, uh, but it's actually going to apply to Cardiff and London as well, uh, is what Murray told him. The cards, uh, these are cards with purpose, meaning every fight truly counts. Of course, we have our semifinal matchups, but every fight on the card will really matter. So the four fights, uh, the four fighters looking to secure their place on the promotions 2023 roster would be Martin Hamlet and Corey Hendricks, as well as heavyweight matchup between Marcelo Nunez and Dylan Potter. I'll just say this. I often do this role. I mean, listen, whatever PFL needs to do, and if they have a right to retain guys they want to retain and whatnot, but it's kind of interesting. John Nash brought up a point to me, and, and, and it's, Always remember something like this. Uh, everyone reflects on fighter pay as like the disparity between boxing and MMA, but really it's not. There's an entire posture that everyone as- assumes that you can see play out in myriad different ways. For example, Danny, Brandon Moreno wins against Kaikar France on Saturday and they bring in Devison Figueredo to the ring. If you're the A side in a boxing contest, right, and you win, you get the final say over who enters and doesn't enter that ring. For example, Danny, you, you would get this. We had Errol Spence recently on Showtime fight Jordanis Ugas, and he mm-hmm. beat Ugas. You think there's any fucking chance that the promotion brings in Bud Crawford into the ring without Errol Spence approving something like that? It would 
never, never happened. True or false? True. Yeah. Okay. So here's what I mean. In this way, if the PFL wants to retain these guys or not retain these guys, certainly that is well within their rights, right? You can keep guys you want, whatever the contract says. If they're up to the, the, the job or if they're not, your call. But my only point is they keep framing this like, you know, in, in boxing, the promoters kind of bid to see who they can make an attractive offer to to get people to sign with them. In MMA, it's the inverse. It's we control the show and the fighters have to consistently try out to get to come to our show. So I don't mind it in a vacuum. In a vacuum, there's nothing at all by itself inherently bad about it. I want to be very clear about it. But it is one of those things where if you ask yourself, yes, there are tournaments in boxing on on occasion that do happen, but sort of you know standard run-of-the-mill boxing operations, something like this, a promoter would never fucking say. It would never even occur to them to say it. I think that's where I come down on this. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. Um, so yeah, we'll see how it plays out, especially like if they have any bigger names that don't make it to the playoffs. Like, are you going to apply the same rule if they fight? Like, is their job on the line? We'll see. Definitely interesting. I'll give this to PFL. PFL kind of is a little bit of a disruptor in the um, in the space just because their their format is so different and they are trying different things. So I'll give them that. I think there is. Um, I think there needs to be a little bit more innovation and, and see what works and what doesn't. I'm not a big fan of this exactly per se, but I do like the spirit of, hey, you know, trying to switch things up and trying new things. All right. Let's move on to the saddest topic on earth that is really just, you know, I realize that people have buried him, but we've not talked about this on this show. BC's not here. So, Danny, you get the wonderful honor of having to walk us through this. The Iranian Hulk is back in the news. God, what a sad sack this this MFR is. Sajad Garibi, I'm sure my Farsi makes me pronounce that name incorrectly, but Sajad Garibi, known as the Iranian Hulk, a man who is six foot two, three hundred and eighty-five pounds, and if you knew anything about fighting, it would immediately occur to you that he couldn't fight his way out of a wet paper bag. But because Instagram is stupid and the culture around it is stupid, and everyone just sort of looks for it like circus animals and circus acts. This guy got some traction, and he was supposed to fight Martin Ford, who is this actor, but he's an enormous man. He's like six eight, six nine, and he's jacked as shit. And uh, they had a they had a shoving match. All natty for yeah, all natty. Definitely got looking that way on eating tapioca and getting a good night's sleep. But neither here oh, nor there. Sure. They have a stare down, and he shoves the Iranian Hulk. And obviously, this guy is a you know he can barely stand upright. I mean, this dude probably wakes up with headaches because he can't get a full night of oxygen in his sleep, and people are like, he's going to be a good fighter. Okay. So he gets disowned by his family for looking sad and weak in a stare down with against Martin Ford. A fight that doesn't happen, mind you, doesn't even fucking happen. Then he has this boxing match against a dude called the Kazakh Titan, and it goes about how you might expect. I don't know if we have the footage or any of the videos i'm hoping that we do but we may not if we do just roll them on yeah there we go danny look at this shit bro i mean this guy is he's literally a guy in day one in the gym at your gym is he not yeah he's uh he's terrible and 
I, I don't know how this guy became famous. Like a lot of people, the whole thing before this guy actually was on like camera and not like edited on Photoshop. Like he was just massively, like just a huge guy. And people were like, oh my God, the Iranian Hulk. But it was so clear that it was Photoshop. Like you can't get that type of body just by working out. But somehow people bought it and it became like a whole legend or thing in the MMA community. And now that he's like fighting because celebrity boxing is like a thing now. Um, yeah, the dude just sucks. He's terrible. I mean, I, I, it's crazy. Isn't it weird that in MMA we get these characters that become like things like even like I know this is vastly different, but like Hasbula, you know, I'm sure you know him. Like there's like yeah. these like personalities that become famous in combat sports. I, I don't know why. Well, here's the thing. It's like combat sports. This is the place for them. Right. Because, again, insiders, people who are, you know, are especially fighters and coaches and people who live in the gym, they they understand. Like I never if you watch one year of MMA, one year and let's say regional and like high level and everything else, what what's one of the major conclusions you might come to? For me, Danny, one of them would be there's a lot of different body types for different weight classes. But in general, the guys who look more like gymnasts, even less than that, because they're pretty jacked, but like Michael Phelps, the fighters with the physiques like Michael Phelps, they tend to do better than the bodybuilder types, than the big fat types, than, you know, again, all different types succeed. But in general, that's your ideal prize fighting body type, you know, give or take. There's a little bit, obviously, some changes you would make there, too, given that he's just a swimmer. This idea that, like, some big mammoth motherfucker like this is going to be able to move and fight, it's like, dude, what the fuck are you talking about? But I'll say this going back to the pride days where you had your giant Silvas and, you know, the cra- like uh, crazy guys who had weird physiques and weird looks and everything else. What was the that game name? has Akibono? always been it- a... Akibono was... Oh, he was a... Yes, he fought Hoist Gracie. He was, now, he was legit into sumo, obviously, but mm. yes, some guy who looked like some crazy, you know, almost like comic book villain or something. There's always going to be a place for them, and there always has been a place for them in combat sports, but it's for... You know, the dumbest audience. Let's just be real about that. That's who it's that's who it's really for. It's the least savvy audience that watches combat sports. And so, like, dude, this was inevitable. This was never gonna go any other way. If you lack mobility, like in the way that this fucking guy, you know, dude, he has trouble breathing, Danny. I yeah. mean, he has trouble fucking breathing. What kind of fighter do you think he's gonna be? Probably not a great one. And now he gets to go home after lose. I mean, Whatever humiliation he suffered in the shoving match, imagine what he's going to get now. Poor bastard. I actually feel kind of bad for him. As yeah, like already Instagram because you know they're going to come after him for sure. What's what's your least favorite part about Instagram? Uh, least favorite part. I, I think it's like probably I don't know. I would say even Twitter is more toxic than Instagram. I don't know. Instagram is one of like my favorite platforms. Um, would you say about like the actual content or the actual platform it- itself? I, I'll, I'll give you an example. I, I mean, more the content. So mm-hmm. my least favorite thing are these guys who go to the gym and they do this these circus lifts where like they'll climb some giant apparatus and then they'll do dips, which is fine. But they'll do dips with like a monster truck tire tied to their hips or something and they're balancing on the least stable shit imaginable it's like dude all you motherfuckers who get injured from this you deserve every bit of it that shit that this inclination to do stupid circusy shit just for clicks which is what the iranian hulk basically is 
Oh, yeah, no, for sure. But I would say probably the most annoying thing about Instagram and just social media in general, like all these like prank videos that like these people pull out that are like clearly fake, that are clearly set up, but somehow they blow up and everyone's like tagging everyone. Oh my God, look, this is so funny. That's clearly set up. Like I would say like more than half of those prank videos are, are set up. It's like bullshit. I don't know if you've seen it. Like a, a guy's walking around and he puts a box over him and the guy's like, what? You know, like it's just stupid yes. as fuck. Like they're, they're at Home Depot and they'll yeah, put a box exactly. over guys' head, yeah, and slap him in the ass, shit. and be like, "Hey, why'd you touch me?" Like, dude, please. Yeah, you're you, you, these guys. Well, the good news is, Danny, we we may not be able to get to see it, but there's a decent chance all of those kids or guys are going to win Darwin Awards within you know five years or less. So, probably. take heart that natural selection will weed them from the gene pool probably sooner rather than later. All right, yeah. that brings us, by the way, to our last and final point here for the top five, Danny, which is worst MMA injuries. So let's throw this up on the screen. If you haven't seen this, boy, do we have an injury for your ass. This is terrible. Now, I had the uh, notes here about who this was. Uh, yes, this is Blake Perry. Look at this fucker's nose. Danny, you think it's broken? This happened at A1 Combat 4, which is actually... Uh, this is Uriah Faber's show, I believe. It took place at the Stockton Civic Auditorium in California. Easily one of the worst broken noses I've ever seen, right? Yeah. That's up there with Mike Perry for sure. That is gross. That is – I saw it on my on my Twitter timeline, and the way they edited this was perfect because they ha- kind of have, like, the towel over his face, and then they just kind of do, like, a big reveal. That thing's just gross. I can't believe they let him fight. I know. Did you see the video of them putting it back in? No, and I, I don't want to. That looks oh, disgusting. It's fucking awful. It it yeah. is. Uh, and, and dude, here's the other part too. Like I've had no surgery. I've had nasal problems for the last like I don't know five six years, maybe a little bit longer than that. You've known that as long as you know me. I've had breathing problems through my nose because yeah. I got a bunch of damage up in there from years of living like a stupid person. Man, trying to sleep or trying to avoid like headaches and how like the 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 position you have to like sit when your nose is fucked up. I can only imagine the weeks, probably months of absolute misery he's going to be in, even if the nose heals, which, by the way, all the scar tissue and shit is eventually going to have to come out there like that. That's one of the most uncomfortable injuries, even if it's not like, you know, it's not life threatening or it's not necessarily career threatening in that way. But like quality of life shit, real bad, real bad. Yeah. Dude, and, and this was only his second pro fight. And sometimes I like, uh, I know people that are like training MMA just for fun. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, I might just do one like bucket list MMA fight. Is like, dude, I don't know about that. Like, unless you're trying to be like a pro <laughs> fighter and take this shit seriously, like show him that. Like, dude, you're gambling. You're you're rolling the dice every time. That was his second pro fight, bro. F that. Bro. How much you think? And hey, you know, how much you made for this? Probably a couple grand. A couple maybe, grand. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Dude, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't take that for like you have to pay me like a million dollars for me to get my nose like that. Yes. Cash, by the way. Not like oh, you yeah. know yeah. shit I don't have to declare to the IRS type shit. Like I'm taking all what one million of those uh, with me home. All right. So it leads me to the question, Danny. Tell me we we watch a lot of violence, you and I, and we've been watching a lot of violence together for a long time, right? We are, you know, I, I'm an OG in this game, but I feel like you've become one as well. You've been around for a little while now. Tell me an injury through all of the years of violence that you've watched that kind of stuck with you in the middle of a fight. I'm not talking about some stupid-ass car wreck. I mean, in a real fight, what injury really to this day was like, oh, that one was, that one was bad? 
Dude, I think the worst ones have to be like the tibia breaks, like Chris Weidman, Anderson Silva. Those are by far the worst. I mean, they're disgusting. The legs flopping around. I remember years ago, before that even happened, there was like a really famous kickboxing fight that you would see the highlights every now and then float on social media. It's a guy that, that whose leg just wraps around the other guy's leg, almost like if you were kind of using a whip. Um, and you just see him fall to the ground and be in so much pain. And then years later, we saw what happened to Anderson Silva. That, to me, has to be like number one, especially like the one with Chris Weidman where like it snaps and he actually put it back to like plant his weight on it and it just kind of collapses. Oh, that one gets me all the time. Like I can't, I could barely even see it. Like you see it live and then you're like, nope, I'm not watching that again. Uh, but then you always got like the Mike Perry one where like the nose is completely destroyed. They actually had to remove his bone from his nose and now he just has cartilage and he can like press his nose flat. Like I've seen some pretty disgusting shit. Uh, I'm going to, that's a pretty bad one too. And then he had to fly home from, remember that fight was not like in his home backyard. That flight was in Uruguay. So he had yeah. to go all the way from Yo, Uruguay Luke home to piece them up. Who's fighting this weekend? Yeah, that's right. I'm just saying, man, if you have a nose injury or like a face injury where, you know, uh, the pressure changes can affect like headaches and shit. That's one of the worst fucking ways to go home. Breathing through your mouth. Oh, God, fuck all that. It just gives me the heebie-jeebies thinking about it. I'm going to say the worst injury for me, and it wasn't the one that looked gruesome. Like, for example, the one you brought up is a good one where, like, Silva gets his leg broken and, and Corey Hill back in the day in The Ultimate Fighter, too. Or, um, yeah, actually was on The Ultimate Fighter, but, like, on one of the fight night shows. But those are gruesome to, like, look at there. The ones that kind of stuck with me were the ones that were like, you talk to the guys afterwards and the recovery process was, you know, months in the in the making. So I'll give you two of them. One, when MVP broke, literally broke the skull Dude. Of, Dude. Of, uh, Cy- of Cyborg Santos, right? That was a fucking bad one. That, I, I said this at the time, Danny. Tell me if you disagree. That is one of those injuries where, you know, like people break their hand pretty routinely and they get cut pretty routinely. If people's skulls were breaking that routinely, you couldn't have MMA. It's one of those injuries where if that was something that was regular, the sport would have to be banned. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, that is that is um, that's like close to death, right? Like, I'm not I'm no doctor, but if your skull's collapsing, which holds your your fucking brain like, dude, that is horrible. That is absolutely disgusting. That's like that has to be number one injury. Right. And I can't imagine like for anybody that's been like injured, I can't imagine like actually like feeling a, like a giant dent in your skull. Like that must be like the most like the the most stressful, the most worrisome shit ever. Like I've had like a hernia. I've had like a meniscus tear because of jiu-jitsu. Um, and, and that shit sucks. But I can't imagine actually having like a, a freaking hole in your forehead. Um, that's horrible. Also, like your forehead, isn't it supposed to be like the strongest part of your body or something like that? Um, of your skull. Yeah, I think it's one of them. And I think it's right. Mm-hmm. It, you know, don't they tell you in soccer, you want to head the ball right around where the hairline right. is like that. That part right there, the crown is typically the strongest. I'm not sure where his was broken, but that one I was like, dude, that is that's real. That, that's like when a medically like serious in a way that was alarming. The other one, I'll tell you this one, dude, that that beating that Sage Northcutt took to Cosmo Alessandri. That was a bad one, dude. He shattered his face into a fucking like like Thanos snapped and he just disintegrated. That's what happened to the bones in his face. Lengthy, lengthy process. I think multiple surgeries. Shit like that, where you know, if you don't get the matchmaking right, you know, the matchmakers people like to think the job is easy. Action fighter against action fighter. 
It's a little bit easier in the UFC when you've already got guys who you know have pretty good chins, pretty durable, pretty talented, come from pretty good camps, right? You've got a lot of material to work with there that someone at a different level has to make, you know, a little bit more precise calculations. Obviously, Sage accepted the fight, so he and his team made a miscalculation as well. So it's not just on the matchmakers, but, you know, you got to be honest about that one. The matchmakers fucked that one up. They did. And, dude, Alessandre, I mean, he nearly ended Sage's career. Uh, You know, the fact that he may fight again to this point is, I'm going to say, somewhat miraculous. Those are the ones that stick with me. Yeah, those are bad. I'll mention one from uh, that's kind of personal from an interview that I did with uh, Ricardo Lamas when he um, when he fought Kelvin Cater. He suffered a, a broken jaw, and uh, they had to put titanium plates on his jaw. I'm gonna read you a quick quote, quote from the interview that I did uh, with uh, Ricardo Lamas, and he this is what he says: "Quote, my bite doesn't feel the same as as it was before. I don't think maybe it will ever will. My teeth just don't align the way they used to." So it's a little annoying, dude. Like, I'm like, are you serious? And he and he would tell me like, oh, there's like this clicking sound now, and like my jaw doesn't exactly align. Like, um, dude, these guys like go into the sport and and they come out like a different, a different person. There's no denying it. Like you, you stay in that sport. I mean, the fact that Saint Pierre kind of got out, you know, largely intact is what I would say. Largely yeah. is, you know, the fact that he won is amazing. The fact that he can like still have a pretty decent quality of life is the other amazing part. If you can win a title, make some good money, and come out with your health intact, buddy, that's the trifecta, right? Yeah. That's it. You beat the game. If, if you can do that, you, did, you, you won. But that's very difficult to do. Yeah. Money, health, and legacy. If you're able to walk out with all of those... Dude, you, you played the game right. You're, you're a winner, 100%. I um, mean, I'll just mention one real quick. I'm not going to mention his name because this was uh, off camera, but I don't know if, if this person wants me to mention um, his name. But it's a famous coach who used to be a former fighter and was having neck issues and was telling me that like basically it was a big reason why he retired because he, he when he would grapple, he couldn't do a good grip. And he started noticing like his right side of, of his body go numb because he would go to the gym and try to like lift uh, dumbbells. And like the dumbbells on his right hand would just roll off because he couldn't just do a, a, a strong grip. Um, so yeah, dude, th- this sport is is brutal. So wait, so he, so I guess in that case, his central nervous system had been fucked with. I, I suppose, or maybe it's like a pinched nerve or something. But like he he couldn't make like a really hard fist or couldn't grapple well. And again, when he was lifting, like he couldn't really hold on to the dumbbells. I'm sure there's PT and things to take care of it, but like that's pretty scary shit. Dude, you know, I mean, from jujitsu, if you can't make a grip, dude, yeah, you can't do done. shit with that thing. It's, I mean, that's it. You're over. So, all right. That's it for our top five here to start the show. Let's do a little game. We're going to play a couple games here on a light Wednesday, Danny, since we don't have any huge fights this weekend. So let's have a little levity in this bitch. Let's play a game that uh, we like to call over under. Let's do it here. Bump, bada, bump, bump. I think we have a graphic for it, too. Let's see it. There it is. That's good. There it is. A little over under. Okay, this is how it works. We'll read a number out, and then Danny's going to tell us whether he's going to take the over on that number or the under on that number. Now, this one's a little bit unclear, but the the number is 80%. That is the amount of the, the, if you're thinking about a percentage of things a fighter says that pisses Dana White off. So when they talk, four out of five things that they say makes him angry. Are you going to take the over or are you going to take the under? I'll take the under. I feel like they 
Dana has like pretty thick skin. Uh, there's certain sure. topics that will irritate him, but uh, more or less, I feel like fighters nowadays try to stay away from that. You'll see like the really disgruntled fighters maybe touch up on that, but more or less they stay away from it. And, and usually the trash talk, if it's corny or whatever, if you get guys like Henry Cejudo or, or Colby where Dana's not really too fond of what they do, he kind of just brushes that aside. I, I would take the under on that. All right. I, I think it's also less than that. I don't think Dana has thick skin, uh, but I do think that also in general, most fighters are, you know, you get the guys like Mark Hunt who are like, fuck everybody. And then you get the guys like Nate who are on occasion very outspoken. Mm. But in general, most fighters, most of the time, they toe the line, to be honest with you. So keep that in mind. All right. Over under, the number is three. The number is three. The number of years Amanda Nunes has left in the UFC. Are you going to take the over at four or the under three or less? I'm going to take the under. I think the magic number is two here. I think Amanda Nunes was already thinking about retirement before. I do think that the Juliana Pena loss did ignite a fire in her. And she's kind of like, okay. And we saw like a a better improved version. Like she's clearly taking the sport way more seriously than she was maybe in her previous fights. Um, But I don't know if that's going to last very long. I think she's going to do a couple big fights. Maybe the Valentina Shevchenko at some point if Juliana Pena gets back on winning ways, a trilogy. But all that will last about a couple of years, I think. Yeah, I'm going to take the under as well. Now, maybe a little bit more than two, but probably not. I mean, if you think about two, what is that? Four more fights? She have four more yeah, camps two, left three, in her? Yeah, three or four more fights. I mean, you know, you never know. It could be one a year or whatever, but, you know, yeah. give or take, probably about two a year. Um, I just don't see her. I don't. I just four more times against two. Shevchenko is one you could do. They could maybe, maybe do a Pena trilogy, but I don't think there's a lot of market demand for it. Um, you know, what the fuck is going on at 45? I don't even know. So yeah, I guess there'd be like the Irene Aldana fight, which maybe might happen. There's a possibility yeah. there. Irene and Caitlin Vieira are like the the two that she hasn't fought. The two other ones, yeah. yeah. And, and listen, if you're either of those, that's the biggest night of your fucking life. If you're Amanda oh, Nunes, yeah. that is not the biggest night of your life at all, you know? So uh, now Dana did say one thing that I think some folks may have dismissed. I don't know how dismissible it is. Let me read the quote to you, see if you, what we can do in, in terms of reaction. This is from Dana post-fight. Now, to be clear, Dana did have a lot of positive things to say. But he also said this, and I'm not sure he's entirely wrong. Namely, I think two things, he said. Juliana's tough as nails, and her will to win was second to none. She wanted to win. I think as dominant as Amanda was, and she was dominant tonight, I don't think it was close any way, shape, or form. It was a complete shutout. But, Dana says, she still looked a little gun-shy to me. Going in against the person who beat you the first time, I could see that happening. I mean, it's stupid for me to even say that. It was an absolutely dominant performance, end quote. Of course, by the way, today is the nine-year anniversary of Amanda Nunes' UFC debut, which was at UFC 163 in 2013 against Sheila Gaff, which she won, of course, by TKO. Uh, surprise, surprise. But, Danny, any merit in your mind to the idea that for as good as she looked, maybe she was a little gun-shy? Yeah, I actually agree with Dana 100% on this. And my analysis going into this fight, and I'll actually go out and say it, I thought Juliana Pena was going to win, was that I think that um, Nunes was the better fighter, but I think that Juliana Pena's toughness and chin was going to take her all the 25 minutes, was going to take her through the fight. Amanda Nunes was not going to be able to finish her, and that's exactly what happened. The fight really played out the way I thought that it, that it would. 
What I didn't expect was Amanda Nunes' cardio to hold up. I thought that this was going to, uh, Juliana Pena was going to make it into a sprint. She was going to be winning early, but the fight was going to come down to cardio versus cardio. And we've seen Amanda Nunes sort of uh, fade away in later rounds. So I thought that maybe, you know, Juliana Pena was going to get her ass kicked in the first, second, third, maybe fourth or fifth, pick up a stoppage win. That's the way I thought. But uh, part of uh, what uh, what Amanda Nunes did here was not only have good cardio, she didn't have the knee issue and sort of make sure, you know, her conditioning was on point. But I do think there was a little bit of fight management. And you saw a lot of times that she had hurt Juliana Pena. Usually in her previous fights, she would go in there and and take out the fighter completely. But this time around, she knew how tough Juliana Pena, Pena was. And she knew if she really went ham, if she really went killer instinct trying to take her out, maybe there was a chance that she would gas out. So I, I don't think she was gun shy. I just think she was better at managing the fight because she still had a pretty high output. It's just she kind of made sure to spread that out throughout the fight. That's the way, uh, my, that's my takeaway from the fight. Yeah, I don't think that's wrong at all. I think you're right. And I, also there's something to be said for like, listen, Going southpaw in the way she did was clever. It was clever. Mm. Like it was a, it, and it and it worked too. You couldn't say it didn't work. It did. However, there's also something, and I want to be very clear about this. Not cowardly about it, but part of that is to disarm Pena. It was to dissuade Pena. There's a part of it that is, um, we celebrate for how clever it is. Uh, and by the way, like complicated things can be that they can be two things simultaneously that the, the world doesn't work in these perfect, neat categories. It is both smart and clever and winning, which is really the most important part. But also to me, the fact that she didn't really address the things that got her in trouble the first time with the dip jab and everything else kind of tells you that like, there was some lingering concern about it. Like there were, she was worried about it. So she kind of went to a way that I thought would, and it worked slow down Pena for a time and then ultimately create trouble for her. And then she, you know, she got dropped a gazillion times, but there was, there was something built into the strategy, Danny, that was inherently a shield that was thrown up to protect her. And in ways that were somewhat unusual for her, I guess is the way that I would put that. Yeah, no, she, she definitely, I feel like learned it. And, um, I, I'm, I know a lot of people might not want to see a trilogy about, but I, I kind of do it. Not immediate again, not immediate, mm. But I do think that Juliana Pena is one of the fighters that made Amanda Nunes work the most. I mean, that fight was... It, that fight very much reminded me of the fight between Volkano, Volkanovski and Brian Ortega. In the sense that it was lopsided, but Brian Ortega made Volkanovski work. And at some point in time, he threatened with like really close submissions, just as Juliana Pena. But yes, it was a one-sided beating. I think if Juliana Pena is able to pick up some wins, address a couple things, and inspire that she can improve and, and give a little bit of a better fight to Amanda Nunes, I'm telling you, when it's a sprint and it's cardio versus cardio, um, I think it could be it could be interesting. But again, not immediate, but she'll have to pick up some wins and, and show improvement. Fair enough. All right, over-under, Danny. Over-under. The number is point five not five point five here's the sort of question as such the number of pay-per-views Hasim Rockman Jr. will headline throughout the rest of his career are you going to take the over at one or higher or the under I'll take the under you think this fight with Jake Paul happens again you think they rebook it I think it would take an act of God yeah, I I don't think so. I think uh, they're they're gonna go and visit something else. And uh, unfortunately for Rockman Jr., this was it. This was his big pay per view. This was his big fight uh, with twelve on one record. 
I don't see him actually fighting the boxers and moving up to a spot where, you know, he fights in a big paper. I mean, listen, is it possible they could meet again? It is possible. It is possible. But this was all, as I said on Monday show, it was all kind of rushed because of whatever happened to Tommy Fury. Um, and so they were trying to put it together. It didn't really work. And I don't know that the public has a significant appetite to see Haseem Rahman Jr. fight him. Now, here's what I thought was going to happen, Danny. I thought that they, I, again, I said this on Monday show. I can't wait for BC to come back to validate this. I told BC my prediction. My prediction was he was going to miss weight on Friday. The commission was going to let it go, and he was going to beat Jake Paul. That was my prediction. It was mm-hmm. all three of those. Had that happened, and he had beaten Jake Paul, depending on how that might have looked, yeah, there could have been a case for a pretty big rematch there, right? There, There is a way where that could have gone, where, like Tyron Woodley, he could have gotten a couple of those out of it. But the way this one fell apart ahead of time is the public really clamoring for this fight to happen as like the one that has to happen, especially when Nate Diaz is one fight away from being a guy who can just do whatever the fuck he wants. Color me extremely skeptical of that. Yeah, there's tons of options. I think Anderson Silva is still one of them. They were never going to get him on short notice. Anderson Silva deserves uh, a lot more respect, and he's definitely not going to go in there on short notice and fight Jake Paul. Um, but now with like with this fight off, and now they can actually build one with like a legitimate longer camp. I think Anderson Silva is back uh, in that pool as well. Uh, Tommy Fury, I think he's always there, even though Jake Paul hates on him and says fumble the bag and we'll never fight him again or we'll never get another fight booked again. Uh, if they solve the visa issues and they're able to get back in the U.S., I think that's a possibility as well. I think Rahman is is at the bottom of the list for a, a potential fight with Jake Paul at this point. Yeah, I would agree. All right. Uh, okay, the number is three. Three, Danny. The number of months until we see Dustin Poirier in the octagon again. And by the way, he just tweeted fight news coming soon minutes ago. Three. What do you think? I'll take it just about three. So I guess the under. Um, I think it'll be a little bit less than three or about. I think he's going to come back pretty soon. And look, things are setting up. If you look at the top five of the lightweight division, all those guys are booked except um, Michael Chandler. So that fight's, I feel like that fight's destined to happen. Obviously, there's Justin Gage as well, but he just had a nose surgery. From the guys that are available, Chandler's the only option, and Chandler's itching to get back there. I don't know if you've seen his uh, Twitter. He's out there putting like crazy workout videos. That guy's probably the, one of the best athletes, if not the best, at 155. That fight has yeah. to happen, and I think it'll happen before the year's end. Completely agreed on all counts, including the workouts of Michael Chandler, which are insane. All right. All right, the number, 38. 38, okay, that's the number. Here is the statement. Are you going to take the over or the under with the number of pro MMA wins Andre Arlovsky has at the time of his retirement? Now, for folks who don't know, he currently has uh, a 34 and 20 record, so that would mean four more wins and... By the way, he has a fight already lined up August 29th. He could have 35. So we're saying four more wins before he hangs it up. What do you think? I'm taking over all day. Dude, Andre Orlovsky is, he's really a, a marvel. I feel like he doesn't get the credit that he deserves because he was champion so long ago that people even forget um, but the fact that like he's been around the game for so long and has been able to reinvent himself, go to different gyms, 
I think that's even I'm not I'm not comparing it to winning a, a title, but I think it comes close like longevity in the game at the top. I mean, you know how hard it is to stay at the top with the evolution that this sport brings. Super, super impressed. He's developed this style where he doesn't take a whole lot of damage. He's great at managing the fight. Um, and he's in great shape. I think he can keep doing this for several years. I see him picking up a win here against uh, Lima and picking up three more and, and breaking that. I'll take the over for sure. Um, I, I, I've been wrong about Arlovsky in ways I've not been wrong about anyone else. Like I've been uniquely wrong with him. So I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to take the over. I think he might get to some pretty special numbers. Now, again, the bottom could drop out. You do recognize it is also possible that at some point this, you know, okay. It's an, it's an inevitability that for everyone, the career will come to a halt. But what I mean to say is. You know, who knows? He could suffer an injury and then the whole shit comes apart and God only knows if he gets this number. But his ability to, let's say, overachieve in this last part of his career has been, I think, nothing short of remarkable, quite frankly. I can't think of many other guys who occupied, you know, he was a champion. He was a champion and is still kind of hanging on with this unique little blend of a game he's got, which is different than he used to fight completely. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Like reinvention at this point of the game is like, it's mind blowing. You know, certain guys like you see it with Chuck Liddell, like towards the end, like he just wasn't able to change up. And you saw him against like, I think it was Rich Franklin. He tried to wrestle a little bit, but then he was like, nah, F that. And then went wild with the striking. Um, Dude, fighters like Overeem, fighters like Orlovsky that are able to like reinvent themselves late, even Glover Teixeira. That to me is so damn impressive. I'm a huge fan of Orlovsky. And, and something also that I like is that you see it with, for example, like JDS, like towards the end, the UFC was just giving them straight killers, right? Nganu, uh, Cyril Gan, Curtis Blades. I mean, the guy, uh, Derek Lewis, the guy was just fighting the very top. With Orlovsky, I feel like the UFC has a different approach. They like having him on cards and they more or less give him like mid-tier heavyweights. And I think that's great for his longevity. That's going to allow him to stick around even longer. I would agree with that as well. All right, let's play a game here to close out Wednesday's edition of Morning Combat. We've never done it before. We're going to try it. We're going to call it Good Fan, Bad Fan. So I'm going to read you a series of statements. These are not things that I necessarily agree with. And by the way, I want to be clear about something too, Danny. There's a difference. You would agree. There is a difference between being a good person and a good fan, a good dad Mm -hmm. and a good Dan, a dad. Someone who's uh, a good fan, a good uh, someone who's financially responsible and a good fan. So keep that in mind. We're not asking if you're like the nicest person in the world. We're asking, are you a good MMA fan or are you a bad MMA fan if you do the following? Make sense? Yep. All right, let's do this. Here we go. Danny Segura, am I a good fan or a bad fan if I audibly woo at MMA events? Woo! Which am I? You're either highly intoxicated or you're a terrible MMA fan or a combination of both. Uh, but no, I, I'm I'm not for the woos. I think a good fan sits there and, and watches the fight, shuts the fuck up, maybe yells when the fight gets crazy. But the whole woo, especially if the fight's boring, that, that to me is uh, like an anti-mating call that just shouts uh, infertility and bad genes. Not yes. for it. It definitely means that you have, um, you know, genitalia that are totally unfulfilling to any sexual partner you've ever had in your life. It's definitely what that means. I would also add that, like, I think a good fan, you can be boisterous and noisy for sure. Yeah. 
But like, you know, for example, let's talk about this. If you go to Ireland and Bellator does have rocking shows in Ireland, UFC 2, whoever, you know, when the crowd is singing zombie together in service of something related to the fight in a positive way, good fan. That's a good fan. Mm -hmm. But to your point, if the action's whatever and you're just wooing because you're bored or because you want everyone to like look at you, I don't think that makes you a good fan. I think you can be loud. You got to be yeah. loud for a purpose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's the woos. It's the actual noise. It's the actual, you know, call that uh, that just fucks shit up. Yeah, you can be loud 100%, uh, but no woos, man. All right. Good fan, bad fan. I make my significant other watch fights. Good fan. Good fan. Because I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> I think good fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll say this. Good fan. You're a good fan. However, if you've been with your, like, you know, Danny, I'm, I, I'm, but dude, my 10 year wedding anniversary is next month, right? You know, I don't need to make, and you've met my wife, you know, my wife, I don't need to make her watch shit anymore. So I do feel like you can make them do it. But after a little while, the proselytization has to stop a little bit. Fair or unfair? I think that's fair. I, I think, it's getting your significant other to start watching. If they don't like it, okay, fair game. But you do have a responsibility as a good fan to be like, hey, look, this is the good shit. You got to watch this. You got to give this a shot. You got to teach them, hey, look, this is what's going on. This is who he's fighting. This guy's in this position. If he wins, these men, this means that. That's a good fan. If you're trying to introduce your significant other to make sort of a, a power couple, MMA power couple. But if they say no, they don't want to watch MMA, I think that's fair. You, you can't shove it down their throats, right? Like, there's got to be a line. But... For sure, at least an introductory fight, an introductory event. I think that's fair. I think you're being a good fan. Bro, I lost girlfriends with how many times I tried to make them watch MMA. Don't regret it at all. Fuck them. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Dude, especially make them working watch in fights. MMA I told media, like, at least they have the to door. tolerate it. You know, there's got to be like a low. All right. Number three, good fan, bad fan. I pirate a significant amount of MMA events to watch live. Now, listen to the way I worded it. I didn't say everything, I didn't say nothing, but I did say I pirate a significant amount of MMA fence, uh, events Excuse me, to watch live. Good fan, bad fan? I think you're, you're a bad fan. I think Ooh. this should be like a low amount. A low amount. Uh, if it's what's a significant... What's okay? Bro, so I'll, I'll, let me pitch to you. What is an acceptable amount of piracy? Uh, I mean, technically none of it because it's illegal, right? But <laughs> but I do think that like there there's cases, man. Like there's a fight, and you know you gotta catch it real quick. All right, whatever, do you right? But like if you're like consistently on a schedule for watching fights and you're constantly doing, I, I don't think that's cool. And look, if you don't have the money because it, it is a lot of money, like go to your boy's house, do a do a little you know watch party. Everybody puts down ten bucks. I think that's doable. Or go to a bar. Go to a bar, get some food. There's options for that. But if you're out there pirating every fight or most of them at least, I think you're a bad fan. Because if you love MMA and you want to support it, dude, you got to buy the paper. Yes, a good chunk goes to the promoter, but another one goes to the fighters. So, Yeah, I think I think my attitude is piracy is bad and it's illegal, but it is also inevitable. So I'll look the other way on it in the way you're talking about, where if you really don't have the financial option anymore and the fight is big enough, not some random, like, I'm just going to watch, you know, because I'm too cheap to pay for cable or something like that. But, you know, something where it's a little harder to get access to or, again, you're working, but you only have so much money. Do they do? I mean, here's the part about piracy that these MMA promotions just don't seem to realize. 
in totality, what they ask from their fans in terms of time and money is mm-hmm. way more than what other sports ask. It's fucking I'm insane. Saying. So, yeah. like, some piracy, again, it's illegal, and I understand that, but they have to know some of it is inevitable given the financial constraints of, of, of the world. Yeah. All right. It's expensive uh, yeah. to be an MMA fan. It's fucking stupid how... Yeah. Dude, and, and, and by the way, like, if you're like us... You know, Danny, I know you watch boxing, too. Yeah. You can say what you want about the DAZN pay-per-view thing, which by itself is just fucking hilarious. Did you see the pr- the price on that fucking pay-per-view? It's $85 for Canelo versus Triple G3. Dude, that's fucking... When I first started watching, that was literally Bro. double the cost of what you had to yeah. pay. It's stupid. It's gotten stupid expensive. So, uh, yeah, I understand a little bit of piracy. All right, fine. But um, but if you're out there like an MA fan watching everything constantly, like, dude, you, you got to figure some shit out. All right, number four, good fan, bad fan. At parties or even the workplace, I intentionally bring up MMA just so I can talk about it. Good fan, bad fan. Oof. I would say that's not even a good fan or a bad fan. I would say that's a new fan. I feel like people that have been watching MMA long enough, they know not to bring that shit up because it's a little weird, right? Um, Especially if you're, like, obsessing over it. But you know, man, and I've been there, too. Like, once the, like... MMA bug gets you, especially early on, and you're just fucking watching fights nonstop and just consuming that shit. Like, um, sometimes you're a little too passionate and you, like, you know, talk to people about it at parties or whatever. Um, ah, that's a tough one. I, I, I would I would break the rules in this one, and I would say that's a new fan because, bro, I've been there. I, I'm not going to say uh, I'm better than that. I would agree. I would agree. I think it does reveal not good or bad, but newness. So Level in the sense, it's yeah. actually so. Here's the thing: it is bad, so to speak, but because it's new, it's forgivable. Is the way I would look at that, right? That's that's that seems pretty fair. Okay, let's move along here. Number five: good fan, bad fan. I claim to have watched MMA since UFC one. Good fan, bad fan. Bad fan, bad fan. If you claim, why. right, like. If you're out there, like, you know, puffing your chest, like, oh, you know, this and that, and you actually haven't, uh, yeah, you're a bad fan. Um, Usually those fans, usually those fans are even casuals. Like, oh, yeah, you know, I've been watching this shit since day one. Like, I don't know. I am just like, I, 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 the, the funniest thing, dude, was I used to get callers, and they wouldn't even say UFC 1, but they would say UFC 2. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when people get pulled over and the cops are like, how many beers have you had? And they're like, always two, which is like, you know, which is just the idiot's way of confessing to drunk driving because their calculation is is quite obvious. They don't want to say one, but they don't want to say the exact amount. So they kind of hedge it by giving it a little bit extra one. But that by itself always gives the game away too. UFC two used to be the guys who would call into my radio show on Sirius XM who claimed to be watching since again that time. And then they would always have complaints about how the fights suck. And they'd be like, when was the last one you watched? And like, bro, I haven't watched in years. It's like, okay, all right. Yeah. I mean, what are we doing here exactly? This doesn't make a lot of sense. So to me, I'm going to say either way you want to slice it, whether you're just trying to flex or you're lying or, you know, whatever the in-between there might be, bad fan. Bad fan on this idea. Bad fan, no, 100%. No Dude, people have been right. watching the sport for a long time. They, they don't brag about it. Like, it's just like if it comes up in a conversation, sure. Like, oh, yeah, how long have you been watching it? Oh, I actually started like uh, X year. But uh, usually, like, you don't wear that as a badge of honor. Like, uh, at least from the MMA fans, like the good MMA fans that I've met, they don't they don't brag about that shit. 
It's like, dude, you know, how, it, it, like the like bragging about that's like, do you know how many years of Saturday nights you've given up with friends to do that? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That's the, that's not the flex you think it is. <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah. Number six, Danny. Number six. Now, this one, think about for a second, unless you have like a really strong opinion. Good fan, bad fan. I kind of, but don't really care about UFC fighter pay. I kind of, but don't really care. Good fan, bad fan. I would say bad fan. I, I feel like that's a sign that you're like a casual, like, yeah, I don't give a fuck about fighter pay. I don't get a, give a fuck about these guys like health. Um, like a good fan that actually tunes into the sport. They all want to see these guys make money and be well off and be healthy. Um, shit, they're fucking giving us their health for our entertainment. So I think that's a bad fan. I'm going to say I, I don't know. To me, it's a little inconclusive because like, here's the thing. I would agree with you that if you stumbled upon someone, like you met them, and they cared about fighter pay and they were, you know, they were informed about what's happening. They had good takes that were fun to talk about with. Yes, that is definitely a good fan. But at the same time, if we're trying to win the fighter pay argument, the fans interests are heavily aligned with the promoters, sometimes against the fighters. Mm. I don't know if winning them over is what we're trying to do. We're trying to just win over the power structure and to change it. But, like, are we really trying to convince fans to care about fighter pay? I got to say, to me, that's not my line in the sand. I actually think you, it, again, I would agree with you, somebody who is empathetic is going to be a much better fan. But I do think it's possible to be a good fan and not wrapped up in the issue. Am I crazy? No, I think that's fair. And look, I'm not saying like be out there like campaigning and and, and boycotting the UFC and this and that. And But I think just being in general of like, hey, being aware of the situation and, you know, being happy for fighters, you know, making money, making the making the bread. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I feel like fans that have that mentality. I think those are good fans. All right. Uh, I've got a few more of these. Here we go. Good fan, bad fan. I've watched every MMA movie. And I think that Warrior is genuinely representative and good. Good fan, bad fan. Um, I would actually say that's... I'm not a big fan of MMA movies, but I would say that's a good fan. Tell me why. Because, I don't know, that just shows that you're, like, passionate. And uh, I would say that Warrior is probably the better MMA movie. And, you know, that, that standard is pretty low. But uh, overall, like MMA movies, just are, are pretty shit. They they suck. Boxing <laughs> movies, on the other hand, there's a few that are actually pretty damn good. Um, so yeah, th- this one I'm a little bit split, but eh, maybe good. All right, I would agree with good. I don't think MMA movies are very good. I think Warrior has definitely some good performances in it. Yeah. Nick Nolte kills it, and Tom Hardy kills it. Dude, Tom Hardy's a, Tom Hardy's a great actor. Tom Hardy's a beast. I got. I mean, yeah. you're not going to hear me. You're, you're not going to hear Tom Hardy slander on this show. Yeah, he's he's exactly. a great actor. But the movie itself was like, mm, it was okay. Um, yeah. uh, here Comes the Boom was, you know. Here, here Comes the Boom. Uh, yeah, I'm glad those fighters got paid on, on that on that movie. But other than that, mm, it's, it's species. It's BC yeah. species. All right. Number eight. We got 10 of these total, so just three more. Good fan, bad fan. I secretly love watching injury highlights or groin strike replays from big fights. Good fan, bad fan. I feel like that you're either a, a psychopath, and if it's just the groin strike replays, you're, you're, you're an MK fan. 
Um, yes. I think that's yes. what it is. Yes. I think that's what it is. <laughs> yes. First of all, if you like watching dudes get hit in the balls, for sure you're an MK fan, number one. Yeah, Secondly, 100%. I'm calling bullshit on you, Danny. Dude, we have seen injury highlights go. We just talked about this motherfucker's nose on the yeah. side of his face. Dude, I think good fans, they can't. I, there's a part of them that also is repulsed by it, a natural human reaction. But those yeah. things go viral for a fucking reason. It's because That's true. it's because hardcore fans know that you know this. It's not just the amount of MMA injuries. It's the unique, weird, bizarre nature of them that happens in MMA. I think you're actually a good because listen. Here's what I said. I didn't say that you proudly brag about it. That would mm-hmm. be weird. The guy who's like, I love watching people get fucking maimed. But you know, secretly, kind of dialing that one back and watching the GIF and rotation. I don't know, Danny. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we all love seeing people get knocked out, right? Like, you can consider that an injury, right? Like a concussion. Um, Yeah, you're right. You're right. Now, listen, if it's like if it's like a sad injury, then not necessarily. You know, I don't mean that altogether. There are obviously like the cyborg one when he falls and holds his forehead. You're like, oh, yeah. But there can be cases of it, cases of it where it does happen. All right. Number nine. Good fan, bad fan. I think Conor McGregor's I shit on bus, the thing he kept saying to Habib, or Colby Covington's nerds and virgins jokes are legitimately funny. Good fan, bad fan. See, I'm split on this one because I, I do feel like there's a difference between Conor and Colby. Um, yes, the question is unfair. I'm not saying it's a fair question. I'm going to go with... Oof, I'm going to go with good fan, man, because um, this is part of the sport, right? Like the trash talk... Uh, the going, you know, towards the line and sometimes navigating those weird waters, like you don't see it anywhere else. Um, and whether you like it or not, it is part of it. And, uh, you know, fans eat it up, fans eat it up. I I would say good fan. Yeah. I'm going to say good fan. I'm going to say good fan. Now you might have the sense of humor of, uh, you know, someone who's been hit in the head with a tire iron for uh, a solid year, but we're not asking whether you have a good sense of humor. We're asking whether you're a good MMA fan. I actually feel like yeah. it would fit more into the latter. All right, last but not least, this one's a bit of a layup, but I just had to include it because I'm trying to think of cliche things that fans say or kind of believe or what comes up. Good fan, bad fan. I definitely believe that by watching MMA but never having trained, I could still beat up most people <laughs> on the street. Good fan, bad fan. I'm going to go, I feel like that's most fans, to be honest, but I'm going to go with bad fan, dude. I feel like people that really watch MMA kind of have a reality check of like, yo, you know, these people are certainly like some other level. They're not me. Um, But I would say, dude, most people that like watch MMA feel like, hey, I feel like I can kind of do this. So I don't know. I'm kind of split on this one. I feel like it does represent MMA fan base, but um, I don't necessarily think it's like a good part. I definitely think it makes you, I definitely feel like it makes you a bad fan Um, or, you know, well, you know what? Yeah, bad fan, bad fan, because if you watch MMA long enough, this instinct should get weeded out, right? So Mm -hmm. it could be going back to the other one where it could be newer fan, you know, versus bad or good. I would say casual. I would say casual. Definite casual. Like, but the kind of casual where you watch. You watch fairly regularly, but you don't watch enough to know, like, oh, yeah, these are, this is a totally different thing 
like yes. watching it doesn't mean shit you know you you eventually get to that but this is the kind where it's like yeah man i see what these guys do boom those guys and by the way those are the same ones that also go back to the water cooler and it's like hey did you see the fights this past weekend blah 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 and just making it all about them they're connected they're connected yeah yeah 100 percent. i agree uh all right that is it for our show today danny if folks want to get more of the danny segura experience what can they do how can they find the tremendous work by the way i should point this out in english in spanish i watch your videos for, uh, in Spanish more often than I do in English at this point in part because I'm trying to work on that you know it's a it's my Spanish is shit but I can listen to you and get better and in part because I feel like you get I've told you this before I feel like when you talk to the Spanish-speaking fighters you get a little bit more of their personality when they're speaking in their native language so either way where can folks get some of your stuff yeah for sure you can uh, find my English work over at MG. you can follow me on all social medias at Danny TV Twitter Instagram Facebook and if you're interested in Spanish work, whether you're a Spanish speaker or want to get better in Spanish, dude, you have no idea how many people I've reached out. Like, I've been trying to get better at Spanish. And because I love MMA, like, your content is, like, perfect for that. Uh, so if you want content in Spanish, uh, head over to Hablemos MMA in YouTube. Uh, you can find it all over my Twitter as well if, uh, if you don't, can't type in the name. But, uh, yeah, if you want Spanish content, check out Hablemos MMA on YouTube and uh, interviews, analysis, whatever you want. Oh, we do have one last piece of news to react to. I don't want to forget this because Bellator announced this live during the show, Danny. Bellator announced Patricio Pitbull versus Adam Boric for October's, October 1st Ooh. for uh, that, t- well, I guess that title fight at 145. And then AJ McKee, uh, very quickly, just give me a reaction. AJ McKee is going to stick around and fight Spike Carlisle, who, got to tell you, that is close to being a mismatch. Your Your thoughts on this? Yeah, not too thrilled on the Spike Carlisle guy. I mean, I I remember him in the UFC. Like, he's all right. He's like an athletic dude, but Super AJ should guy. beat his ass here, to be honest. Uh, the Boric-Pitbull fight. Dude, I love Boric. Some uh, Sanford yes. MMA, Killcliffe, actually, nowadays. Um, Adam Boric is a, an absolute stud, and we know what Pitbull brings. So that fight's actually amazing. I love that title fight. Yeah, I love Pitbull versus Boric. Interesting yeah. to see McKee against Carlisle. I'll tell you this. McKee should not lose that. If he does, that would be quite bad. All right. We'll save some of that for Friday's more fuller analysis. Danny, thank you so much for joining me. I want to remind folks, Showtime.com is the label that pays. You can go to Showtime.com, get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, keep it. If not, you can bounce. You can go to MorningCombat.store if you want some merch. Uh, I guess we're going to save fan. Are we doing fan subs or are we going to save that for next week, right? We'll save it for next week. We'll save it for next week. So we'll do fan subs and dead wrong a little bit later, but you can always reach the show morning combat. You can see the email right there. Morning combat at gmail.com. The producers will take a look at it. All right, Danny. Great job this week. Thank you so much for joining me. Check out Danny's work at Ablemos MMA, uh, MMA. And then of course, MMA junkie as well for all the English speaking stuff. It's great. No matter what language it is in. I appreciate you, my friend. Have a great time there in sunny South Florida. We will have you back on soon. And for Malka, Showtime, CBS Sports, BC, he'll be back next week. Thank you all so much for watching. We'll talk to you on Friday. And until then, may all of your gains be loyal.